Uh, Pastor Matt got a lot of yes to gods in there, didn't he? <laughs> That's awesome. So awesome. You know, I had a lady last week after, I don't know if it was service or the next service, and she caught me way in the back down one of those aisles, and she said, um, this is our last Sunday here. I said, oh. I said, my husband's being deployed to Afghanistan or Iraq, and so we're moving the family to North Carolina to be with my parents while he's deployed. Um, but we'll be back in a year. And she said, we started coming here back in September, and we haven't missed a Sunday. Uh, God has been doing so much in our lives, and I just want to thank you and Pastor Sam for your messages and all that God has done through this community of believers to re-energize their walk with the Lord. And I love what God's doing here. Last week, um, we, we said goodbye to Pastor Sam and Michelle, and so many of you showed your love. I mean, they were so blessed by what took place in the foyer. And I remember back when Pastor Sam was a volunteer in children's ministry, behind the scenes running a computer, and where God has taken him today. And I just believe that in the season where we're kind of in a transitionary time, not quite sure what's going to happen, you know, replacing him and all that, I just believe that God has so many more people in his church he's wanting to raise up. That, that every person in this room has a call on your life from God to discover what that purpose is and to fully engage in that purpose. And I really want to do my part in helping you discover that because there's nothing more fulfilling than when you see God using your life to impact other people. And it is such an incredible thrill. And if, uh, if you look around our church, so many ministries are run by just dedicated volunteers. They're not run by us as staff. You know, Celebrate Recovery, Reengage, Moms Next, the, the men's ministry, uh, healing Journey, Financial Peace University. And, and you may be the next person that God is raising up to be a leader in a ministry. In fact, we need a leader right now to, to head up a specific ministry that takes place every Sunday, our greeting ministry. And if that's something that interests you and you feel like God's calling you to step up into leadership roles or serving, uh, my email address is on the back of your bulletin. You can email me and I'd be glad to talk with you. Uh, today we're, we're shifting topics because uh, this time of year, for the last several years, we've taken March, April, and May to, to cover some topics just because they fit really well in the season. For example, May has always been, since I've been senior pastor, a great month to talk about family issues. Family is such a critical part of our lives. We're going to spend the month of, of May talking about family. April this year has Easter in it. We're going to be talking about the, the gospel and the resurrection of Christ, how it impacts us all before and around Easter time. And then for the next three weeks, today and the next two weeks, we're going to talk about stewardship or, or money management. Now, I know for some people, this, this sometimes can feel like, oh my goodness, church, there they go again. They're always talking about money. Yeah, we, we talk about money every week with the offering. I'll bet you talk about money probably almost every day in your house. It's just a, a big part of our lives. But what I found, I used to be afraid to address this subject because I thought it's kind of like politics. People get very touchy about the subject. But what I discovered is when people get this area of their life kind of under God's control, Amazing things happen. They have such freedom, peace, and joy. I was talking with a young couple this week. They're in their 20s. And, and in the last couple of weeks, they paid off their last debt. They're debt-free in their 20s. And it, it all started a couple of years ago when they heard Dave Ramsey on the radio talk about managing finances a biblical way. And they began to practice things. You're going to hear their story next week. But it's amazing that, that at a young age, we just, think, we just think we can't do this, but you can God speaks about every single important practical area of your life. Marriage, he speaks about it. Your job, he speaks about parenting. Talks about that. Finances, he talks about that. In fact, Jesus talked more about money and possessions than virtually any other subject. Why? Because it's such a dominant part of our lives and can have a big impact positively or negatively. There's hardly any subject in marriage that gets debated more, that causes more tension than over finances. 
And there's, there's probably no issue that causes us more worry than the state of our finances. And what if God says, I have, a, I have a plan for you that actually could give you great peace, could, could give you jo- a lot of joy, and could actually usher in a kind of blessing in your life, a favor that you never imagined. Uh, testimony after testimony tells a story that God does that in our lives because I really have come to believe personally that what God wants for us is far more than anything God asks from us. He is a good father. And so uh, when you came in today, you not only got a bulletin, but you got... You should have received a, a card like this. It's, it's a prayer card because what I want for you to, this month is to join me in praying. I'm actually fasting some over these next 21 days. But I encourage you to pray, maybe even fast, and make these a, a subject of daily prayer. Uh, there's one, one thought for every single day. So, for example, today is March 1st. There's one for the first day of the month. And the theme of today's message is on ownership. Uh, we have this, uh, we're going to look at three words over the next few weeks. Ownership, relationship, and partnership. Three ships. And I thought, of how can we tie all those together? And, and I apologize, but I didn't want to say ship happens. So I thought, let's come up with a, let's, let's, let's come up with a better title. So I said, uh, all aboard. Okay. This, this is something we all can participate in. So all aboard. And on ownership, as the week progresses, start to just use these as a prayer starter, as something just to pause during the day. And it doesn't have to be long. It could be like 30 seconds or it could lead into a longer prayer time. For example, here's today's. I praise you, God, for everything you have given me. Mm. Oh, God, you have given me so much. God, my family, my job, my health, my country. I, I, you give me so much. Thank you. Thank you for being such a generous God. I mean, just I'm pausing to, to talk to God about this and do that every single day. It's not meant to burden your day. It's just meant to be something that even when you're getting ready to go to work, you might have it sitting on, the car, on your car seat right there and say, hey, you know what? As I drive, I'm going to remember this thought today as I drive and begin to talk to God about that thing. I think it'll help these to saturate our hearts and minds as we go through this series because today's topic is God is the owner and I am his steward. And we're going to look at a story Jesus told that, that illustrates some great truths about how that relationship functions. And if you have a Bible, you could follow along in Matthew chapter 16. Here's how the story goes. Jesus, it says, he also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be my manager. What you learn first of all is When we look at what God has given us, it is a trust. God has entrusted us with his stuff. Entrust carries the word trust. It's, I'm giving you something of mine and trust you're going to take care of it. And that was the story right here. There's there's character. There's the the rich man. Jesus says, that's representing your heavenly father. He's wealthy. He has an abundance of, of possessions. You are his manager. So he's talking to his disciples, you're like this manager. Now, the manager in this story wasn't real good. In fact, it says he wasted his owner's possessions and just didn't manage it well. And so the, the owner came to him and says, hey, turn in the books, you're done. You've not been good, I'm firing you. And so this man realizes he's in a, a tough spot. See, see, he failed to do what he was called to do. He was called to manage his owner's stuff, and he failed at it. We have been given stuff by God, and we are his managers. Another word for manager is steward. A steward is someone given responsibility over someone else's assets. We manage someone else's assets. If you have a retirement fund, uh, 401K, uh, IRAs, you may have a financial manager that you speak with on occasion. 
Or you may have a company that you've given your money to. Now, it's not their money, even though it's held there. They don't have the money. They manage the money. And you have a great concern that they manage it according to your wishes, right? It's not theirs to spend however they want. It's not theirs to make risky decisions. It's theirs to manage for you because you are who? The owner. That's my money. You get to manage. Yes, you get a little cut of it for your commission, but it's my stuff. Take care of it real well. And so that's what's going on in the story. The manager has given something to this servant, and he doesn't handle it well. Now, in the Bible, it tells us that God is, God is a rich God. In fact, in Psalm 24, 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth, it's a pretty big thing. Earth is the Lord's and everything in it, plants, animals, living creatures, those who dwell in it, that's us. We all belong to him. Now, about 40 years ago, there was a man. He was a ventriloquist and a car salesman. Wasn't doing real well at the time. And in 1980, as he looked out his car window into the sky, he saw the moon and says, I wonder who owns that. He decided to look it up, searched online and found that 1967, there was a treaty signed by several nations that said no single nation could lay claim to the moon. He said, doesn't say a person couldn't own it. So we filed for ownership of the moon. Now, you think that's a joke. I'm not joking. He's been selling uh, acre lots on the moon for $25 an acre. He, he, not only that, he bought eight planets or clayed claim to eight planets. He's been selling property on these planets as well. Celebrities, presidents have bought property on these places. They have, they have deeds that show they have ownership of a piece of land on the moon. Now, are they ever going to build on it? No. It's kind of a novelty. But this guy's kind of brilliant because you know what? He sold 611 million acres of property and, and has pocketed $12 million. 2004... He was named the president of the galactic government, which oversees, true, this is true, the Congress has recognized him. He, he oversees all the, all the extraterrestrial landowners. So if anybody, there could be someone here who has property on the moon. This is who you report to. This is, is kind of like the guy that's overseeing your place. Now, David didn't specifically mention the moon, but I have a gut feeling God owns that too. <laughs> and every other planet and star that's out there. It says he owns every single thing. Why? He made it. That's it. He made it all. It belongs to him. He allows us to occupy it. He allows us to possess it for a period of time. I love what this, this pastor years ago said. There's not a square inch of creation over which God doesn't point his finger to and say, that's mine. That's mine. I made it. Belongs to me. So everything I have, my house, my car, my shoes, my clothes, my thoughts, my body, belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. But he says, I'm going to give it to you on loan for a period of time. Now think about this. We lay claim to owning a lot of things that really we don't own. For example, I, I, I say I own a house, but actually Chase Bank owns it because I make payments to them every month. And it won't be mine until I pay it off. So they actually own it. I just get to occupy it. Same thing with some of your cars, some of your education. You haven't even paid for it yet. It's not yours. You're occupying it. You're getting a chance to use it, but it's really not yours yet. We have these things from God 
on loan. And I think Job got that. Job's a guy in the Old Testament who had these hard times fall on him to test his loyalty to God. He lost his farm. He lost his family. He lost his own health. His wife told him to curse God, but he says, no, no. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I, I shall leave. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You know, I've, I've visited a lot of hospital nurseries, and I've conducted dozens of funerals. And I can verify what Job said. You don't come into this world with anything, and you don't get to leave with any of it. All stays here. Life is a matter of receiving and then releasing. And some of you, as you get older, you realize, yeah, i got to start letting some of this stuff go. I'm not going to be here a long time. And through it all, he says, and the name of the Lord is to be what? Praised. Praise God for allowing you to be the steward of what he's entrusted to you. Everything, everything that we have comes from God. And, and God wanted this entrenched in the hearts of his people. When they went to the promised land after being in Egypt and wandering in the desert, they're going to this land that's described flowing with milk and honey. It just means that the cows are very healthy there. And the bees are buzzing and the pollen's getting dis, you know, dispersed and there's honey being produced. It's a healthy place. It's a prosperous place. You're going there. But then God says through Moses, there's a bigger section, but here's, a, here's the, in a nutshell what God was trying to communicate. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. In other words, when you see the, the crop being harvested, and when you see the, you know, the health of your livestock, when you see your business succeeding, don't you dare step back and say, look what I did for myself. God did it. You know, I, I sometimes wonder if, if God somehow would open our eyes to all the stuff he's done behind the scenes to put you in the right place at the right time with the right employer, the right supervisor, giving you the right skills, the right education, all the stuff that God has moved around in your life to just bless you. And you may think like, ha ha, you know, I did this. And God says, you had very little to do with it. Very little. Your health I kept you healthy. Your strength, the thoughts in your head, that vision for that business, that idea for that invention, you know where that came from? It came from me. I put it there. You know, sometimes I think we, we have to step back and say, hey, I got to be real cautious. I should thank God for what he's given because he gave it and I'm a steward of this thing and I want to praise him because I'd like him to do more of this, but I'm just a servant here. I remember hearing about this lady. She was in the airport waiting for a connection flight and she decided to go into a little store, buy a book, and while she was there, grabbed a little bag of cookies, sat down at the gate waiting for her next flight, reading her book, when the man next to her reached over and opened up the bag of cookies, <laughs> took a cookie out and ate it. She said, the audacity of that man. He needs to know those are my cookies. So she reached down, grabbed a cookie, looked at him, and <laughs> ate it to know she was watching a little while later, he reached down, calmly just picked up another one. She said, he took another one. She took another one. He took another one. She took another one until there's one cookie left. And she thought, what's he going to do? Long pause. He reached over, took out the last cookie, snapped it in half, ate half, reached over to give her the other half, and she took it. She ate it, and she thought, how dare he not even say thank you for eating my cookies? 
So she, she ends up getting on her plane, starts to put some stuff away, reaches down into her bag, and lo and behold, she finds a bag of unopened cookies. She had been eating his cookies. And she didn't even bother to say thank you. And I wonder sometimes when, when we think God's taking stuff from us, God says, you've been taking it from me all this time. That's my stuff. You've been taking it from me. See, God says, I, I've given it to you as a trust. It's a trust. And I trust that you're going to handle it well. You know, as stewards, stewardship, we often just relate to money, but it's bigger than that. It, it's about life. I love what Lynn Miller says. Stewardship is the act of organizing your life so that God can spend you. Stewardship isn't a category of life. It's not like this little sliver of your life. Get the stewardship thing down. It's all of life. It's everything about your life. It's managing your life in a way that God can spend you, use you. Now, that's not the end of the story. That's just the beginning because he goes on in verse 3. The manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do. So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. When I look at what God has given me, and I think when we look at what God has given us, we have to recognize that money is simply a tool. It's like an instrument. It's neither good or bad by itself. Nothing wrong with money. Nothing not inherently good about money. It depends whose hands it's in. It's like... It's like a knife. If I put a knife in the hand of a chef, it's a good thing, right? If I put the, the knife, a knife in the hand of a criminal, not a good thing. It all depends on whose hands it is in. Same thing with money. You put money in the hands of a good person, they can go out and buy groceries. They can give to people. They can do good things. In the hands of an evil person, and they'll bribe people, they'll manipulate people, they'll buy things they shouldn't buy, evil things will be done. It all depends on the person. It's a tool that we use. And this man looked at it as something that he could use. So he went out, and he goes out to these different clients that had bills to pay, and he starts to cut their, their bill. Like one guy cut it in half. Can you imagine if someone came to your house and said, you know that car payment you have for, for 10000 If you pay it off this week... I'll take a five, and we'll, be, we'll call it even. You go, really? I'm going to scrape together whatever I can. That 5000 is going to save me 5000 These people start paying their bills. I don't know how long it's drug on, but I'll pay the bill because it's been reduced. So he starts collecting all these bills, and I think on the one hand he thought, hey, I'll at least show some cash flow to my master. That'll be a good thing. But he's actually even thinking far bigger than that. He's, in fact, he's thinking of down the road, when he's not working, possibly. See, he's not a laborer. He says, I'm too proud to beg. And there may come a time where I need a place to stay. And these will be the friends I'll call on. He's thinking good. Good thinking. He's, Jesus says, that guy's shrewd. You know what shrewd is? It's being street smart. It's having foresight. It's uncanny common sense. I think back to when my son was in high school. He was having trouble finding a job, and I really wanted to motivate him to get out of the house, 
get a job. You need to start bringing some income in. Just, you know, pay your own gas money, all that kind of stuff. So one Saturday, I, I gave him a deal. I said, go out there, and uh, for every application you fill out, I'll give you $5. I figured if he got into two or three places, filled out applications, he might get an interview. Who knows, he might come home with a job. So he was gone for like five or six hours. He comes back, and he's got a big grin on his face, and I thought, it worked. It worked. So he plops down, puts his arms out, and says, Dad, you owe me 60 bucks. I said, what? He said, yeah, I filled out 12 applications. I said, any solid leads? He goes, nope, but I filled out 12 applications. Pay up. I said, were there even places you wanted to work? No, but that wasn't the goal. The goal was to get applications filled out. I realized he was shrewd. He played by those rules, and he won. That's what Jesus is speaking of here. He played by the world's rules, and it's working for him. And he goes, I kind of applaud this guy for doing that. You know, he's, he's thinking sharp. But, but more importantly, the lesson he pulls out of that for his disciples is, is these two things. I think these two ideas come out real clearly. One is Jesus says, when wealth fails, who's going to welcome him in? Meaning wealth will eventually not buy you what you need, and what you really need is friends. And I think you and I realize that there are things that money can never buy. Silver, gold, green cannot buy you peace, cannot buy you joy, cannot buy you companionship. And he says, when money runs out, the friends will be there. And I think that's such a comfort for us because some of us realize, I don't have a lot of money. That's okay. Do you have friends? You're far richer if you have a lot of friends. It's friends that come to your funeral, not, not money. Uh, and so he says, you're smart because you invested in what matters most, people. And secondly, he says, basically, the decisions that he made today will affect his life tomorrow. The decisions he's making now have a lasting impact. And when he looks to his disciples, he he then starts to talk about eternal dwellings, meaning Jesus is thinking further down the road. So what he's saying is money is a tool that can not only bless others, it can prepare you for your future. It can be used for both helpful and heavenly purposes. Your 401k, your IRA, they will not bail you out in the end. It's, it's investing in people who then, who then get to know the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus, who then will go ahead of you into heaven and be there to welcome you into your eternal dwelling. That's kind of what he's getting at. Invest in people who will go on ahead of you because they'll, they'll welcome you, not into their earthly house, but into an eternal dwelling. That's, that's where we're all heading. See, this life is pregame. This life is preparation for the next. We think long-term is, is 30, 40, 50 years. Jesus says, think, think 10,000 years. Think 20,000 years. That's long-term. Think long-term. Think about eternity. That's what Jesus is getting at here, that what you do here has an impact for the future. In Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, actually verses 18 and 19, it says, uh, Timothy, give this instruction to people. They are to do good, to be rich in good deeds or good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for who? Themselves. Themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. He says, what they do with the resources here on earth, does affect the future. It's their foundation. Now, we don't have time to go into uh, the, what the biblical teaching is on rewards, but there is reward for faithfulness on earth. 
And it becomes our foundation for how we will experience eternity. He says, decisions made today affect tomorrow. And so think about the long-term benefit. Thirdly, Jesus goes on. He starts to um, give another application of this story. He says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? What God has given us becomes a test. It becomes a test. God is saying, can I trust you with the little bit I give you? Because if I can't trust you with a little, I'm not going to give you a lot. And some of us start to think, you know, I've been at this place before saying, God, if you trust me with a lot, I'll be more faithful with much than I am right now because I need more to be faithful with. And God says, it doesn't work that way. Show your faithfulness right where you are. See, we always like to say, I would be faithful if I had more. God says, you show me faithfulness right where you are. A few weeks ago, Jeff Bezos, who's a CEO of Amazon, hit the news because he, he gave a big chunk of money to fight climate change. $10 billion. Now think about that. $10 billion. Not million. Billion. You know what? One billion is a thousand million. This is 10,000 million. Wouldn't you, like, wouldn't you like just to give a million? He gave $10,000 million, and what's even more shocking, that's only 8% of his portfolio. 8%. He didn't even tithe off of it. He's got $122 billion left, and he's multiplying that every year. And you have to ask yourself, would we call that generous? I mean, the amount sounds generous, but the percentage isn't. I know people who don't get their names in the newspapers who give a far greater percentage and show greater faithfulness with the little they have. You know Warren Buffett, who's also one of the world's wealthiest men? Warren Buffett, just very humble man, lives in a little house in Omaha, drives an old truck. He said, it's far easier to make a lot of money than it is to give away a lot of money. Because there's so many options, so much responsibility in what you do, and sometimes so many strings attached to our giving. Bill Gates, another wealthy man, was confronted by his mother, who I don't know if she's a Christian, but she knows her Bible because she actually quoted to him this verse from uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And that convicted Bill Gates so much that he and his wife set up a foundation and has challenged the wealthiest people in the world to to make a pledge that upon their death, they would give 50% of their, at least 50% of their wealth to charitable causes. I mean, this idea of, of much will be required. I mean, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it is required of stewards this one thing. They be found what? Faithful, faithful. Be a faithful steward. Manage God's stuff in a way that pleases him, that brings him glory. That's the ultimate goal. Jesus shifts, though, from worldly wealth, this is real interesting, to true riches. See, sometimes we think if I just am faithful with, with giving or using money, God's going to bless me with more money. Not necessarily. He may give you something better than money. He calls it true riches. Now, he doesn't actually describe what they are, but I can kind of guess what some of those true riches are. Joy, peace, grace, contentment, friends, the gospel, understanding the word of God. I mean, the things that money can't buy, He's saying, those are the true riches. You can never go out and buy peace. You can't buy contentment. You can't buy friends. Those are true riches. 
And I can give you those things. But if you haven't been faithful with the tangible earthly thing, why in the world would I entrust you with more people, more joy, more grace, more understanding of God's word when you, you haven't shown faithfulness in what you do have? But get this. He goes on and says something I think is pretty amazing. If you've not been faithful in what belongs to someone else, who's going to give you stuff of your own? Meaning that God's desire is that one day we would be owners. And I think that's when we, when we enter the next life. He says, you've shown faithfulness. This is yours now. He wants us to be owners, but he says, if you can't be trusted with the little I give you, why would I want to give you true riches for eternity? Be faithful. Be faithful. I, I'm, a, I'm a big God. I'm a, I'm a generous God. I'm a giving God. But come on, show me some faithfulness, and I'll bless you. See, God, God promises to bless us in so many ways. Uh, the guy who used to be pastor before me, the guy who hired me is Brian Myers, and, and he shared with me a story this week uh, that I thought was an interesting test. He wanted a test if, to see if, if people really believed it's more blessed to give than receive. He, he went out to eat with another couple, and right before the dessert, he pulled out his wallet and offered the waitress a $50 bill and says, I'd like to give this to you under one condition. Do you believe it is more blessed to give than receive? And she said, oh, yeah, I do. He goes, then this is yours. Oh, thank you very much. He goes, now I want to ask you something. Would you be willing to give out of what I've given you to buy dessert for all of us? You don't have to. That $50 bill is yours to keep regardless. But you, would, you, would you be willing to put into practice what you just said you believed? That's more blessed to give than receive and buy us dessert. She says, I need to think about that. So she walked away. A little bit later, she came back with their desserts and said she paid for them. She bought them. And Brian said, you know what? You passed the test. Opens up his wallet and says, I'm giving you another $50 bill. And I sometimes think that God says, for you, I just want to see if you pass the test. Be faithful right where you are. Be faithful right where you are. What we have is a test. And then this last little piece of the story, which is very significant too, he says, no servant can serve two masters for he will either hate the one or love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. See, it's so easy for us to hear the biblical teachings and go, ha, ha, doesn't work for me. I don't like that. I don't like when they always talk about money. I don't like when, you know, all this stuff about God and finances. I can do it on my own. And oftentimes it's because our heart is, I really love that. I like to have a grip on that stuff. Pharisees were like that. They love money. Now, as I said before, money isn't bad by itself. It's the love of money that's the problem. In fact, Paul writes to Timothy and says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Think of all the kind of things that money can cause people to do or tempt them to do. Cheat. Steal, abuse employees, manipulate, buy bad things. I mean, the love of money can cause you to do all kinds of ungodly things, right? There was a book written several years ago. Title of the book was called The Day America Told the Truth. And people were asked what they would be willing to do for $10 million. One-fourth said they'd be willing to abandon their family. 23% they'd be willing to be a prostitute for a week. Give their bodies to strangers for a week. For $10 million, a fifth of them said they'd be willing to give up their spouse for the money. I just want to know, what's your price? What would you do for money? I mean, 
money and God clash to where there, there comes times in our life where one has to win over the other. They, you can't serve both equally. You either say money wins this time or God wins this time. And God wants us to choose him because he says, don't let money be your master. Let me be your master. How do we do that? Well, I think one of the ways we do that is to hold things loosely and say, God, these are yours. How do you want me to use them? Loose, loosen the grip. God, it's your stuff. All this is yours anyway. How do you want me to use it for your glory? I think that's the biggest question we need to be asking about all of our stuff. God, this is my life. This is my money, but it's, all this is really yours, and so how should I manage it for you? I love what the old uh, reformer, a guy named Martin Luther, said. I have held many things in my hands, and I've lost them all, but whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess. See, every financial decision makes a statement of what we value. The services we buy, products we buy, pleasures we enjoy. I'm not saying that everyone has to have God's name on it, but I just have to ask, everything we do either says, this is honoring to God or this isn't. It's making a statement of value. Uh, There's a, a man in our church shared with me a story of one of his elders as former church. This guy became an elder, eventually became a missionary, and he reflected that when this man was young and decided to give his life to Christ, he did something very unique. He took his wallet, stuck it in a Ziploc bag and sealed it, put it in his pants or his swimming trunks on the day that he was baptized and took it into the water with him because he wanted it to be clear to himself, if I'm really giving this all to God, that means all of it, including my finances. And I think that's what God wants. See, the reason that our stuff can be a turning point isn't, isn't by looking backwards at how we manage it, because honestly, sometimes we look backwards and go, I was, I've not been a good manager. The turning point comes, we decide today, Jesus will be master. Today, starting now. I have so many people who've, who've said, Pastor, when we took Financial Peace University or when I heard that sermon or when my friend talked to me or I heard that story, I decided then and there it was going to be different going forward. And that became a turning point. I just want you to know for, for many of you today, this today could be a turning point for you to enter into a place where, where there's this freedom and joy. And I know uh, that sometimes we just, it's a wrestle through this, but I'm a pastor and it's happened in my life, but there are many people in this church who've experienced the joy and the freedom that God gives. In fact, some of you know a couple in our church, Bill and Kanani. Bill uh, is on our staff, but he hasn't always been on our staff. Bill, Bill didn't even start coming to church when his wife did. She came several years before him and kept praying for him, but they approached the issue of giving very differently. And I want you to hear their story. And while this is playing, I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and go to the back and get ready for our offering. So watch the screen. Good morning, church family. My name is Kanani, and I've been attending Pikes Peak Christian Church since 2005. And I'm Bill, and I've been here since 2010. When I started attending church back in 2005, I started giving to the church. Generosity comes fairly easy to me. Uh, I like to give of my time and of my service, and so giving to the Lord was not hard for me at all. And generosity for me was a little different. I was always uh, worked hard for my money and thought my money was my money and I don't like to give my money up. Because Bill was in the military, I continued to give to the Lord. 
and prayed earnestly that he would change Bill's heart. So when I returned from my deployment and found out that Kanani was giving to the church without really talking to me about it, I tolerated it and I gave her a little bit of leeway. Uh, my thought was if, if the staff needs money, they need to go get a real job and not be using my money. So I tolerated her giving to the church, but in the back of my mind, I always had that thought that I could be buying a new truck or making a new house payment or buying things that our family wanted uh, instead of giving to the church. That went on for a few years, causing a little bit of turmoil in our, in our marriage and in our household. And it stayed that way for a few years. And in 2012, um, I was asked to go on a mission trip to Africa with Scott and L. Price. While I was there, my heart really changed because I saw how the Maasai uh, have nothing and they was giving everything to God. And who am I to worry about a truck payment or a car payment or a house payment when these people don't even have food, but they're giving to God. When Bill came back from Africa, I noticed that God had really changed his heart and his mind. Uh, he, he realized that what we had was not ours, but it actually belonged to God. And God just blessed us with it and allowed us to provide for us, and not just to provide for us, but to provide for people who don't have. So when I came back, I sat down with Kanani and we talked for a while about what we wanted to give and what we was going to give to. The more I got involved in church and especially now that I'm on staff, I've really noticed and got to see where all the, the money goes and the giving goes and all the different ministries that it supports and all the different ministries that are helping the community that I never even heard of or knew about before I got involved with the church. I have the honor and the privilege and the blessing of working with our children in children's ministry. There in children's ministry, we're teaching our children about generosity. And it blesses my heart to see and to know that they give freely to God without any hindrance. And it also blesses me to know that we're teaching the next generation what it looks like to be generous. I think sometimes when maybe the money flow is not coming in like it does normally, different times of the year when, when you're struggling with different bills, sometimes you're like, well, maybe we shouldn't tithe so much or give so much, but then we always do and God always seems to provide when we need it. All of our payments are being made. All of our house is being ran the way we want it. Uh, the money's always there. We don't always have what we want, but we always have what we need. And I give that to God because He makes sure we have what we need. If you know Bill and Kanani, 
Uh, I remember when Kanani first came here in the old building, when Bill was deployed and life wasn't going well, and to see where both of them are now, um, they gave, they've given it all to the Lord. It's, it's a beautiful thing when you can do that. So I'm going to offer a prayer. Ushers, you can come forward as we pray, and we're going to receive our offering for today. Father, thank you so much for the privilege we have to give to your work now. Lord, uh, may today be a day we declare you as the owner. We're just your steward. Receive these gifts as uh, you've entrusted them to us, and we release them for you to use however you choose through this church to serve the community and the world. We ask your continued blessing on Pastor Dustin and Scott as they're overseas, uh, possibly on their next flight to Namibia. We thank you, Lord, that we have work being done all around the world through our missionaries, uh, through the generosity of your people. We ask that you continue to do that and continue to do more in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you didn't come prepared or anytime you want to, you can always go online um, to give. But um, I want to share with you just a few uh, announcements that are in the bulletin before we leave. Today, after this service, 11 o'clock, right in the next building, if you go, go through the double doors uh, into the next building and take a left, go all the way to the northwest corner, uh, that's the Peak View Room. We have a newcomer welcome, and this is our chance to get to know you. If you're new to the church or been attending sometime, would like to kind of put your toes in a little bit more to find out who we are, come to the newcomer welcome. You'll get to meet some leaders, hear about our vision, and we can partner with you. Uh, in our spiritual growth. And so we encourage you to do that. Also, next Saturday is men's breakfast. If you missed the first one or even came to the first one, you want to come back this Saturday at 8 o'clock in the same room, the Peakview Room. It's going to be a great time. I was so impressed last time with the number of men, 74 guys, a few boys that were there with us, just hungry to know God in a greater way. And the whole theme of that group is to be watchmen, men who are, on, who are alert, who are protecting their families, uh, protecting the people around them and being on the front lines in this spiritual battle that we're waging. And so come on Saturday. There's other classes that are starting, uh, going on. Uh, today, after the next service, uh, Don Roycraft will be meeting with those that are wanting to go to Mexico on the mission trip this summer. If you'd like to know more information, find out about that. This is the first meeting. It's a required meeting to be at if you're, if you're planning to go. So that'll also be in the Peak View Room. Love the Peak View Room. Everything happens in the Peak View Room that doesn't happen in here. So uh, God bless you. Uh, let me just say a closing prayer. I'd also invite our prayer partners just to be available up front here. If you've come today with a, a burden, maybe there's a, a need you have going on in your life, a, a prayer concern that you have, uh, we want to uh, just have someone pray over you today. So I'm going to invite our prayer partners, even right now, to come up here just so we, we know who you are. And if you could be available up here, um, come up and see them for prayer. So would you all stand with me as we close? Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you that you are a generous God. Lord, I feel actually a sense of peace knowing that I don't have to worry about ownership, that you are the great owner. And Lord, um, I just pray that we'd be faithful as we go through this week, not just with our finances, but faithful with the time you give us, faithful with the jobs you give us, faithful with the opportunities you give us to speak, faithful stewards of the words that come out of our mouth. Lord, I just pray that we would yield it all to you for your glory and your praise, that more people would know you and be with us in eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.